Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Brian Steele. I'm a pastor at Christ the King Bellingham, but I live in Ferndale at the top of Church Road. Everybody, anybody been up at the top of Church Road? I think it's one of the best views in Whatcom County of Mount Baker. So my backyard, there's this view of Canada and Mount Baker and the Twin Sisters and then Bellingham. And I live right on the back of a dairy farm and it's absolutely beautiful. So I love living there, except for about 10 days out of the year. <laughs> right? So some people know exactly what I mean. Five of those 10 days, they fertilize the dairy farm. I'm not thrilled about that. The other five of those days is the Northeaster. So that hill lines up perfectly with the Fraser River Valley, and we get the full blast of the Northeaster and it is brutal. There's nothing that's blocking that wind from hitting our house. And the windows do this vibration thing. Anybody have one of these houses? When it gets really... So I'm so thankful they don't fertilize in the Northeaster. <laughs> so thankful. Today we're going to look at Psalm 34. It's describing the incredible grace of God. What's interesting is the word grace isn't mentioned at all in the psalm, but it's filled with grace. And God's grace is available for you right now, even if you're in the middle of a, a really difficult circumstance. Psalm 34 has been really important for me and my wife. This has been the psalm of our relationship. We've been living this psalm for about 10 years. But before we get into the psalm, I need to tell you a story about a man named Ira Yates. Ira had a sheep farm in Texas in the early 1920s. His farm was 26,000 acres in southwest Texas, the really rugged part of Texas. One day, a horrible storm destroyed all of his sheep. Overnight, he was destitute, in desperate straits. He'd lost everything. He was on the verge of bankruptcy. So Ira had heard that oil had been discovered in some parts of Texas, and so he decided, well, why not? He drilled a well, nothing. He drilled another well, nothing. After about a dozen wells, he's desperate. He'd spent everything that he has. And he told his friend, drill just one more. And on the Ira Yates property, they discovered the largest oil reserve in the United States. And for the last hundred years, that property has produced a billion barrels of oil. And there's another billion to go. Friends, this is a picture of God's grace. Because the Bible says that his grace is immeasurable. And sometimes we're just living on the surface and we're desperate and we're, we're scratching, we're claw, clawing our way through life. And yet there's this immense reservoir right below our feet. And that's God's grace. So let's jump into Psalm 34. We're going to take a look at this psalm. We're going to read it first, and then we're going to drill down to see if we can access 
some of these riches of God's grace. It starts like this in verse 1 of Psalm 34. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and, del- and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you that right now you personally, individually know each person that's in this room. You know the demands that are on our lives. You know the places of desperation that we have. You know those places where we feel helpless and alone and lost. And I thank you that your grace is open and available to us and that you're extending that to each one of us, the immeasurable riches of your grace. Holy Spirit, would you open our ears? Would you open our ears so that we can hear what you're speaking to us from your deep heart of love? In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a good psalm, right? It's super encouraging. I love it. It's like if you're going to pick a life verse or a life psalm, this is a pretty good one to choose. But, but we're just on the surface if we don't know the backstory of King David who wrote the psalm. You see, the backstory of David is essential for Psalm 34. So we're going to do a quick run through of David's life so we can drill down and get into the grace of this psalm. You may or may not know, but when David was young, he was anointed to be king by the prophet Samuel. That meant he was going to take over for the existing reigning king, Saul. It was really strange that David would be anointed king because he was the youngest of the family. Are there any Are there any runts of the family out there? (laughs) Awesome. Okay, you guys know what that's like, right? Uh, That was David. He was from Bethlehem, a really small town, middle of nowhere. Anybody from small town? Oh, so you're like the youngest of a family from a small town. Perfect. Okay, so you know David was shepherd, the lowest social class. But after getting anointed... You may or may not know that David had his first victory. He goes and he kills the giant Goliath. What's important, I want you to remember, was Goliath was a Philistine from the town of Gath. Gath is important because we're going to get to that later in the story. But remember, he kills the giant Goliath from the town of Gath. Now, King Saul gets notices that David just scored a major victory for 
the nation of Israel. And so, so uh, David gets taken into the court of the king as a young child. That would be like the high school sophomore working on the used car lot, and all of a sudden the Apache helicopter lands and then gets a job in the Oval Office, right? It's like this whiplash transition from nobody to he's in the court of the king. And then David starts stringing together victory after victory. He's winning battle after battle, and and life is good. He's on this meteoric rise. He's scoring serious points. David reaches the pinnacle of fame. People, L-O-V-E, David, his Twitter feed is is exploding, right? The 12th man is showing up for David. He's on the box of kosher Wheaties. He's like, life is good. Life is good for David. And you would think that this is when he writes Psalm 34, right? I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord, right? You'd think that's when he wrote the psalm. It's easy to worship God when life is good, isn't it? It's easy to worship God when life is good. But that's not when David wrote Psalm 34. Because he falls and he falls hard. Because one day... King Saul says this. Anybody seen my marbles? Have you seen my marbles? Do you know where? Saul loses his marbles. He goes crazy. Right? He gets really jealous with envy over David. And he is crazy with envy. And I just want a little warning. Envy is not a junior varsity sin. Envy is listed up there in the list of sins along with murder and malice and adultery. And envy drives King Saul crazy and he begins to hunt David and tries to kill him. So David is now having to flee for his life. He's living in caves. He's isolated. The most powerful man in the world is trying to hunt him down. And he gets captured. And where does David get captured? By the king of Gath. You remember? David killed the Goliath, the champion, and and the champion was from Gath. And so here's, here's just a little hint for you, a little piece of advice. If you ever kill Mickey Mouse in battle, do not seek refuge in Disneyland. Okay. It's not the place you want to be. But David ends up in Gath. And in order to escape out of this enemy kingdom, David has to pretend to be insane. It says that he has spit running down his beard and he's acting crazy. And the king of Gath is like, get out of there. So, so David has not only lost everything, but he's fully humiliated now. It's like he's being ground to powder. He was anointed to be king. He thought he was going to be on a throne. And David ends up in this cave of Adullam. And there, 
in that cave, the Bible says that 400 others who were bitter in soul and in debt and discontent and in distress joined David there. David's supposed to be in a palace as king, but he's captain of the losers in a cave. It's at this point when David writes Psalm 34. Right now, I want you to put yourself in the cave with David. I actually want you to just close your eyes. Imagine yourself in that cave. It's dark. You're hungry. You're rejected and humiliated. Fearful. Surrounded by losers. Hear the whining and the grumbling and the complaining echoing off the cave walls. You're cold. You're sore from sleeping on hard stone. The smells of body odor and maybe even human waste are burning your nose. This is where David wrote the grace-filled Psalm 34. And the point is this. God's grace is not limited by our weakness. See, David was reduced to rubble in this cave. He had very little resources. And the question comes, does God's grace extend us in our worst circumstances? So we've just started to plunge into the this, into this psalm. We're going to drill deeper into the meaning. And I want you to see how this psalm opens up through the, when you understand the backstory. So we're going to I want you to listen to it again as if you were in that cave joining David at the lowest point in his life because he writes in verse 1, "I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth." Worship at the worst time of his life. Because God is worth worship. When it's good, when things are bad. Verse 2, David says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. The only thing he had to boast about was some promise that he received years earlier, but he held on to it. Verse 3, O oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Remember, he's speaking to those that are bitter in soul and in distress and weak, and he's inviting them to join in worship. And sometimes when you feel like your world is small and confined and closed in, then magnifying the name of God is exactly what's for you. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me, delivered me from all my fears. The irony is this, he hasn't been delivered yet. He's still being hunted. And he had reason to fear. 
Verse 5, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. And David's being so clever. He's in this dark cave and yet because God's grace extended into that dark place, it was reflecting off of their face in radiance. Verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And David's troubles are mounting and, and they're even going to get worse. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And they might feel all alone. The enemy soldiers were encamped around the cave, but because God's grace extended to that place, David knew Angels were encamped there. In verse 8, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Their food supply would have been low. Their mouths cracked and parched. What tastes were they experiencing? <laughs> They're not feasting in that cave. But David says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 9, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. They're seeking refuge in the hollow of a rock, but David knows there's a greater refuge in the hollow of God's hands. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. How dare David say that, that he had no lack? when he was lacking everything. George MacDonald, the mentor of C.S. Lewis, said this, when you have God, you don't need to have the answer to your prayers. Hear it again. When you have God, you don't need to have the answer to your prayers because God himself is our greatest deepest need and everything else is a lesser need everything else is a lesser need compared to God so the need for food and shelter and position and safety and achievement all of those their needs but our greatest need is God himself and in that cave David had God himself. And it's when you discover this, that's when you drill down and you tap into the riches of God's grace. When you discover that God himself is your greatest need, that taps through and taps into the reservoir of God's grace. So David, he wasn't deluding himself. It's not like he was pretending that his life wasn't terrible. But in God's kingdom, I like to say God's kingdom, it's the land of and. David is acknowledging that his, his troubles are great. And if you read some of his other Psalms, like he's super honest about that, right? But it's not just that his troubles are great. He has distress and he has God's grace. And when we can live in that way in the reality of our difficulties and the reality of God's goodness, that's his kingdom. The land of and. 
In fact, it's God's kingdom, we can say, is advanced through God's grace. God's kingdom is advanced through God's grace. See, David looked like nothing. He's in that cave. His resources were insignificant and small, but in the cave of Adullam, there was a little seed of God's grace that got planted. And that seed was enough to grow into a whole flourishing kingdom. David went from being the captain of the losers to the greatest king, arguably, Israel ever had. There was a mercy that David didn't go straight from the victories in battle when he was at the peak of his fame to the throne. Imagine what would have happened. He would have become another Saul. If he ruled based on his own strength and his own pride and his own merit, he would have become another Saul. But David learned to depend on the goodness and the grace of God, and that is a place to rule from. But let's drill down even deeper now. There's another level in this psalm that we need to drill into. Because we need to fast forward a thousand years after David and make this connection to Jesus. And there's so many parallels between David and Jesus. It's really remarkable. David, or Jesus, was born from the lineage of David. Jesus was also born in that same podunk town of Bethlehem, the town of David. Jesus had poor teenage parents. Jesus was born in a cave, a king in a cave. All of the hopes of God's kingdom were in that cave manger, in that little baby. And that seemed so insignificant and small, but the kingdom was wrapped up in that cave. Like David, Jesus was also nearly murdered by that existing king, Herod. Jesus grew up working a blue-collar job. He didn't have the highbrow education. Jesus called himself a good shepherd like David was a good shepherd. Jesus also was the captain of the losers like his disciples were nothing special. Practically everything about Jesus was poor. But from this nobody, from the podunk town, the entire kingdom of God sprang. God's grace was overflowing from God's Son. And that began the amazing kingdom of God. Also, Jesus ended up in a final cave in the tomb. And there the dead, lifeless body of a king in a cave lay after his crucifixion as David seemed practically dead in the cave of Adullam Jesus was actually dead in his tomb but God's grace was at work in that tomb and the king didn't stay there 
I want to tell you a personal story about a time when I was in a cave, and each of you, I imagine, have a similar story when you were at a point of desperation in the cave. But for me, it was in 2016 when my wife discovered that she had a walnut-sized brain tumor. And she'd slowly been going blind without even realizing it. She had all these bumps and bruises on her on her legs. She thought she was just being clumsy, but she was going blind because the tumor was wrapping around her optical nerve. We were hiking in um, Lake Tahoe, and my wife collapsed and had a seizure, and it was, I think, the longest two minutes of my life. She's rushed to the MRI. She's rushed to the hospital. In the MRI room, they find the walnut-sized tumor. Uh, and I remember being in that MRI room, and she's in the tube, and I'm holding her hand. Has anybody been in that room before? It's horrible. It's a cave. You don't want to be in that cave. Well, I'm in that cave holding my wife's hand. I pray something like, Lord, you're going to have to give me something. I know this is going to be really difficult to get through. And I heard him say to me, the Spirit said to me very clearly, Brian, I don't want you to hold on to something. I want you to hold on to me. When you're in the cave, hold on to God himself. A few weeks later, Katie had a nine-hour surgery at University of Washington Neurology. Uh, I remember as she's getting, just before she's getting wheeled away, taking off her wedding ring and putting it on my finger, right? And I don't know if I'm giving it back. The waiting room for nine hours was another cave. Has anybody ever been in that waiting room? somebody that you love and you don't know if they're coming out. I'd invited friends and family and it turned into what I call the people I love party. Dozens of people came by and just sat with me. That was such an expression of God's love and goodness. If you ever can just go sit with somebody in that cave you have no idea how much that means. Few hours into the surgery, this stranger approaches me. I didn't know her. In my mind, she was small and just, honestly, she's just really kind of gnarly looking. Her teeth were kind of, I think she gets uglier like as the, as the time goes on, but I was kind of just like a little bit like, ugh. <laughs> she said I think God wants me to tell you something I said okay she opened a Bible and she started reading from Psalm 34 I'll bless the Lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. And as she started reading this, I absolutely lost it. And I'm just a blubbering mess. 
in the cave. She got to verse 19 and she said, I think this verse is especially for you right now. And verse 19 of Psalm 34 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. A couple days after the surgery, a friend sent me something who didn't know anything of what was going on in, the, um, in that waiting room. wasn't part of any of it. And it was a painting of Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. In my cave, the Lord gave me grace through his spirit that spoke to me and said, Brian, hold on to me. And in my cave, the Lord gave me grace through people that came and, and loved me. And in my cave, the Lord gave me grace from his word that sustained me. The surgery was successful. Katie eventually healed and recovered, but that's actually not the point. Because for many people, there's not a good outcome, right? There's not always like a, a, a great ending to the story. The question is, are we open to God's grace no matter the outcome of the surgery, no matter the result of the job interview or the application to that college or that lawsuit or that conflict with the family member that never seems to end? Friends, I hope this morning that you hear that the immeasurable riches of God's grace are for you. That the immeasurable riches of God's grace are for you. That you really are sitting on top of a massive reservoir like Ira Yates. It's just waiting for you to drill down and to tap into. You know, some people say God never gives us more than we can handle. I'm not sure I agree with that. We might say, you could say, well, God doesn't give us more than we can handle, but the world sure does, right? A dark, broken world often gives us more than we can handle. But that's when God's grace comes through for us. David was given more than he could handle in that cave, but he discovered God's grace. Friends, God's grace, it's an immense source of riches and power It's for us right now. It's not just like this thing that I, I receive when I say yes to Jesus, and then I'm saved by faith. It's more than that. It is that, but it's also power and goodness available for you right now. I want you to listen to Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to claim this as a personal promise for you and your circumstance right now. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together 
with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show, here it is, the immeasurable riches of grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? <laughs> God's immeasurable riches of his grace are for us right now. Not just a salvation decision back in grade school, but for us right now. Even in your cave. See, Psalm 34, it doesn't make any sense unless God's grace is a real power for here and now. The reason that he could honestly write that despite his horrible circumstances was because he was receiving the goodness and the power and the mercy and the love wrapped up in God's grace. David was rich before he had a throne or a crown. So think back to the story of Ira Yates. He's on the verge of ruin and bankruptcy. He's sitting on the largest oil reserve in the United States. And imagine that that is God's grace for us. The question is, how can we actually draw on those reserves? How can we drill down and access for that? I want to talk about four channels of grace that's available for us to open down and drill down into his grace. And as we do that, I want you to just think right now of an area in your life where you seem hopeless, where you feel like you're in a cave. It's a situation that's desperate or maybe it hasn't been resolved for decades. I want you to just think about what is that time in your life? What's the situation in, in, in your life? It could be a broken relationship, a bad situation at work, financial pressure, health crisis, or, or that pattern of sin you can't seem to break. Here's four ways you can access God's grace. The first is by God's spirit. That as you delve into the depths of the Holy Spirit who is alive in you, you will delve into the depths of God's grace. As you learn to listen to the voice of the spirit and follow the spirit's leading, grace will fill your life. When you form a relationship with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit brings grace and power into your life. So that's number one, God's Spirit. Number two, it's God's Word. And I'm really encouraging you, don't just read the Bible, but meditate on it and memorize it and spend large chunks of time in it. Devour God's Word. Soak in it. 
Engage with the scripture. Talk about the Bible with others. When you let the scripture invade your life and your mind, God's grace will follow. It's a major channel of his grace to you. Take a Bible basics class, for example. I love that. And you'll have a new power to live a life that's flourishing, even if you're in a cave. So we have God's spirit, God's word. Number three is God's people. Other Christians are a source of blessing and goodness in your life. Form friendships around following Jesus together with others. Yes, you'll get church wounds. <laughs> Anybody? All right, okay. Yeah, I got church wounds. But it's worth it. The church, the body of Christ, is a major channel of grace that God wants to bring into your life. And when you're in the cave with the world collapsed, God's going to use people to give you strength and power and grace. And it might even be you that God wants to use as the channel in somebody else's life. So we have God's, uh, we have God's word, we have God's spirit, we have God's people. Finally, it's God's creation. I strongly urge you, have a rhythm of disconnecting from technology. Spend long stretches of time in God's creation. The beauty and the order and the goodness of what he's made in the natural world is a channel where we receive his grace. Go on a hike, watch a sunset, plant a garden, stargaze, watch birds. You're going to tap into the immense resources of the riches of God's grace at your feet. So I'm going to invite Chris up. We're going to come to a close. We're going to have a moment of, uh, a personal moment just with you and God. We're going to have a moment for you to hear the voice of God of what he might be speaking to you in your cave it may be a moment where God is speaking to you about somebody else who's in their cave. But picture yourself right now in that cave. It's that situation in your life. It's the place where you have beat your head against the wall. It's the place where you have been ground into rubble. place where maybe your hopes are shattered. It's the place where you might even feel helpless or alone. I want you to have a moment of silence with the Lord. Actually, in your mind, I want you to invite God into this cave with you and ask him to speak into your life right now. Friends, his grace is enough for you. We'll have just a moment of silence together.
what is God saying to you in your cave? Father, I thank you that behind the immeasurable riches of grace is a heart of love. I thank you, Lord, that your heart has unending, personal, unique love for each person here. Thank you that you know the situation for each person, that you dearly love them in that, and that, you're, that you want to join them in that. That you want to be with them in that. That you are speaking right now. Thank you, Lord. Friends, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8 says this, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, we may abound in every good work. Lord, my prayer is that each one of us would drill down to access the immeasurable reservoir that's right below our feet that we not just try to scrape by on our own apart from you. Pray your blessing, your goodness, your favor, your grace upon each person here. In Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen.